Good morning, everybody. My goodness, is it great to be here. Uh, for those of you, as Anna mentioned, for those of you that are new within the last four years, uh, we may have just met uh, in the last couple weekends, or maybe we've never met, but it's great to see you and meet you. For those of you who have been around for a while, um, it's just such a joy to be here with you. Uh, my wife Janelle and I moved to Ireland together in 2008 after we got married, and we spent the majority of our 20s here, um, and uh, the ma majority of that time was spent starting this church, and I remember, um, gosh, it was 10 years ago, over 10 years ago now, uh, we had a little Bible study in a kitchen out in um, like the Manor St. John area of like four, four of us, five of us, and we just had this vision that God would, would give birth to a church here in this city. Um, and I'm standing here and looking out and seeing the fulfillment of that vision, and it's just unbelievable. Um, and also, let me just tell you how, how proud I am. Not like a sinful, prideful proud, but like just a real joy in my heart of, of the pastors of this church, of Tyrone and Danny and Nate and the leadership. Um, goodness, I just am so blessed by you guys. So what I'm going to do this morning... Um, I don't really know where to tell you to open your Bibles because we're doing, rather than just teaching through a section of Scripture, what I'm going to do is I'm going to share with you about a character from Scripture, uh, one of my favorites. His name is Peter. Have you heard of him? So what we're doing is I've got this thing recently. We've been doing it as our church, and it's the idea of Jesus stories. So Jesus stories is kind of like our term for testimonies. You guys probably do testimonies occasionally where somebody will come up and share their story with you about like how they met Jesus. And we just kind of wanted to, I don't know, rebrand that a little bit. So we call them Jesus stories, and the tagline is that Jesus is the hero of our story. And so what we like to do periodically as a church is, is allow people to share their Jesus story and show how Jesus is the hero of their story. And we also have taken some time to look at characters in the Bible and see what their Jesus story is. And the idea is that people living with Jesus 2,000 years ago and us living with Jesus today, we've got the same theme, and that's that we all have a story and Jesus is the hero of all of them. Amen? Amen. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to talk about Peter. I'm going to do it in seven scenes, kind of like a play. I don't know. It's a little cheesy, but that's how we're going to do it. Kind of seven points, um, and then we'll give a conclusion. Is that okay? All right. So I love Peter for a couple reasons. I love him most of all because I can relate with him um, on many levels. So Peter was a fisherman by trade. I'm a fisherman by choice. Peter was a large man. As you can see, I am also a quite large man. Peter was impulsive and often spoke without thinking. And those of you who know me, you know that I'm quite compulsive and often speak without thinking as well, even to this day. Now, by the grace of God, he's sanctifying that in me, but I can relate with that. Um, Peter was also a natural leader. He was also a loyal friend. He was also a faithful follower of Jesus. And by the grace of God, I strive to be those things as well. So as I look at Peter's life, I have a connection with him. And perhaps you have nothing in common in those ways with him, but perhaps you do. And I think as we look through Peter's life and see how Jesus is the hero of his story, as we see how flawed he is and how he has strengths and weaknesses, I think we can be encouraged in our stories as well. 
So we'll start with scene one, Peter's background and his call. So his name was, was Peter, that's what we know him uh, as, but before that his name was Simon. And Simon was a Galilean through and through. He was a fisherman by trade. Now Galilee in um, you know, ancient Israel was um, kind of like, it was one of the rougher parts. I was going to draw a parallel, but I don't want to be offensive. It was one of the rougher parts of, of the region. You knew a Galilean by their accent. They had a thick kind of like country accent of sorts. And, and Peter was a Galilean through and through. He was a fisherman by trade. His father um, John was a fisherman, his father's father was a fisherman, and Peter and his brother owned a boat. And what they would do, like fishermen would, is they would fish at night on the Sea of Galilee, um, because at night it wasn't as hot as it would be during the day, and, and the fishing was better. And then in, during the day they would, they would rest. It's kind of like a graveyard shift of sorts. And one morning after a frustrating night of fishing, when they weren't catching anything, Simon and his brothers were washing their nets um, by the seashore. And Jesus showed up on the scene, and he was being followed by crowds of people. It was during the time of, of Christ's popularity in his, in his earthly ministry. And so there were people pressing Jesus against the shore of the Sea of Galilee, wanting to hear what he would say. And we'll pick up in Luke chapter 5 as this is happening and see how uh, Jesus and Peter met. It says, on one occasion, Luke chapter 5, verse 1, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Genesaret, which is also known as the Sea of Galilee. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, um, which was Simon's he asked him to put out a little from the land. Now let me pause for a second. At this point, Simon knew of Jesus. His brother Andrew had been following John the Baptist, and, and, and Andrew would have told Simon all about John's prophecies of Jesus being the Messiah. Um, so because of that, Peter, Simon, knowing who Jesus was, he didn't hesitate what, to do what Jesus asked. Because at very least, in Simon's mind, Jesus was a rabbi and a well-respected one. So, picking up in verse 3, um, and he sat down, Jesus, and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now, this was a strange thing happening. Remember, Simon was an experienced fisherman who had just, what, what we call it, um, there you go, Johnny, sorry, um, what I, I don't know if it's something you call it in Ireland, but when we go fishing and don't catch anything, we call it getting skunked. Do you use that word? No? It's kind of weird. I don't know where it comes from. But he didn't catch anything all night, which is frustrating enough. And then he's accommodating this rabbi, taking him out, though he's tired, it's past his bedtime. And then he says, hey, put down your nets on this side. And, and you've got to imagine Simon at the time was thinking, bro, this isn't your deal. Like, I'm the fisherman, you're the rabbi. You teach people, leave me to the, doing the fishing. That's what I would have thought, at least. Especially because you don't fish during the day, and you probably don't fish that close to shore. But Jesus said to do it, and Simon didn't say, um, you know, let me do me, you do you. He, he obeyed. Verse 5, Simon answered, Master, so he did give him a little bit of lip, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word we will set down the nets. Verse 6, and when they had done this, 
they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boats to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. That's an unreal amount of fish. And you know what's so cool about this, I think? Is that when Jesus meets Simon, Jesus does a miracle in Simon's own language. Simon knew fishing, and fishing mattered a lot to him. It was his trade, and this was not normal in the fishing world. So Jesus did a specific miracle for Simon in Simon's own language. I think that's neat. Verse 8, but when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. So Simon's response to seeing this miracle in his own language was repentance and confession. God, I'm sinful. I confess to you. Depart from me. Verse 9, For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. So at Jesus' word, um, at Jesus' word that Simon's identity and calling was to be completely shifted, Simon was willing to abandon everything in his life to follow Jesus. After seeing the power that Christ had shown, as as Jesus says, hey, from now on you are different, Simon was willing to just turn on his career, his boats, his, 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 his family inheritance, everything to follow Jesus. And from this point forward, Simon's life would never be the same. And, and with this call to a changed vocation, he also received a call to a new identity as well. And this is key. This brings us to scene two in Simon's life. Simon's identity being changed. So, so John gives a parallel account in the Gospel of John to Simon's call. And this, this account could possibly come before the account that we had in, um, what are we reading? Uh, Luke. Um, this is found in John chapter 1. Verses 40 and 42. Read it with me. It's on the screen if you guys don't want to flip. We're going to be in a lot of different scriptures today. John 1, 40 and 42 says this. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him, at Simon, and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So from the moment that Jesus met Simon, he prophesied to Simon about his new identity. And and I think that John's account is is beautiful because Andrew introduced Simon to Jesus and said, he is the Messiah. Andrew rightly identifies Jesus to Simon, and then Jesus turns to Simon, and the first thing he does is says, you are Peter now. You are rock. 
That's what Peter means. You are rock. So as Jesus is rightly identified, he then gives Simon a new identity. From the very start of their interaction, Jesus spoke his plan for Peter over him. The plan that through the grace of God, he would accomplish, Peter would receive. He would be a rock in God's hands. Now this identity as rock will be reaffirmed later in Peter's life. After he'd been following Jesus from some time as he was a disciple of Christ, and he'd become one of Jesus' closest and dearest friends and a devoted follower of Christ. Look with me at Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 through 18. It says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, of course, Simon was the first one to speak up. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So isn't this interesting? Just like when when Jesus first called Peter... Jesus was rightly identified, and then he gave new identity to Peter. Once again, Peter now rightly identifies Jesus. Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of God. And in return, Jesus rightly identifies Peter. This is a glimpse into the exchange of identity that happens that's so foundational in the gospel. The identity of Jesus as Messiah, as Christ, as our Savior, so impacts our identity that when we are rightly in line with who He is, our identity is transformed by Him. That's what Ephesians is all about. This is this this new identity, a new creation, being born again into being a new man or woman as we come in line with who Jesus is. It's wonderful and it's powerful. Apart from Jesus, Peter was merely Simon the fisherman. But in Jesus... He was the rock on which Jesus would build his church. Not a mere fisherman, but a fisher of men. So this was what Jesus was speaking over Peter. And this was his new true identity. But this was an identity that Peter would also need to grow into. Like all of us, in Jesus, Peter was given a new identity... But the call to walk in that new identity was something that would be a process of progression. 
It's not that Jesus spoke over Peter and says, hey, you're now a rock, and on this rock I will build your church, and now you're just going to be the perfect man, the picture of strength. Jesus, or Peter's story is way more nuanced than that. And it may, may seem ironic to you, but, but for me, one of the most encouraging things about Peter's life is, is the fact that even after he's walking with Jesus, even after he received his new identity from Jesus, he is far from perfect. The, 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 the struggles and the strengths of Peter as a man are made really apparent in Scripture. And I take a lot of comfort in seeing those things. Um, Dave Lomas, one pastor in San Francisco, put it well when he said, Peter teaches us that there's room for a storied walk with God. When God calls us and even gives us a new identity, He doesn't expect us to walk in perfection. There's room for ups and downs. There's rooms for struggles and strengths. And so in scene three, we see some of these struggles and some of these strengths. So scene three, his natural strengths, his natural struggles, his impulsiveness, things like that. So immediately after Peter's right confession, when he says, you are the Christ, the Son of God, we read on in Matthew chapter 16, and it's, it's straight comedy. Read on with me, Matthew, Matthew 16, 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Bad idea, Peter. Saying, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Now, this is, this is kind of funny to me. I know it probably wasn't funny to Peter at the time. But, but Peter was so excited that he said the right thing, because this just happened. It's like, who do you say that I am? Oh, you're the Christ, the Son of God. Oh, heaven and earth, did, or, uh, you know, the, the Lord revealed that to you, Peter. Like, you are rock. I will build my church on you. Peter's like, yeah, I'm doing good. And then Jesus says, I'm going to have to go and suffer and die for you. And, and, and that just did not compute with Peter. He just like glitched out. Like, no, you're, you're the Christ. Didn't you just hear me? You said I was right. You're the Son of God. Like, you're not going to be conquered by your enemies. You're not going to die. That doesn't, that's not what Messiah is going to do. He just couldn't wrap his mind around this idea of Jesus going and suffering and dying for the sins of his people. And so he's like, well, I've said the right thing before. I'm going to go ahead and correct Jesus. And he goes from being, you know, confirmed as, hey, you are the rock, to where Jesus says, yeah, you're, you're, you're the rock. Like, that's still true. But right now, you're just being Satan. Like, you're... you're, you're you're a hindrance to me. You're wrong. And he just gets rebuked by Jesus moments after he was affirmed. So that's just Peter. He just opens his mouth. And a little later, we see this again. You know the story of the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, James, and John were brought up with Jesus up onto the mountain. And Jesus showed his glory for a moment. And, and, and the heavens 
opened up and Moses and Elijah showed up. And there's this moment where there's just this glorious appearance of God and the prophets. You see it in Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 18. Sorry, 1 through 8. And Peter just gets so excited by the glory of the moment, he can't help but open his mouth. Again, this is, this is Peter. He's just like this guy. So he speaks up and he says, this is good that we're here. Let us stay here. I'll build some tents. And in this time, the father speaks from heaven and he affirms Jesus as the son of God. And Peter was just straight up ignored. Have you ever said something so stupid, like in a situation that there's just no response? Like people just, "Mm." anyway, (laughs) the father from heaven did that to Peter. Like, oh, it's like, come on, man. So Peter was just, just oh, he, he's this compulsive, speaks before he acts guy. Fast forward to the Passover. This is the night before Jesus' crucifixion. You see it in John chapter 13. And Jesus is there washing his disciples' feet. Now, you've probably heard this before, but the washing of feet was one of the dirtiest jobs that anybody could do back in that day because the, the, the streets were nasty, like real gross. There was no plumbing, so there was like fecal matter in the streets, and there was just mud, and they wore sandals. Like, come on, put on some boots at least, guys. Like, get some wellies, you know, but they didn't. They wore sandals, and so washing feet was really, really gross, and it was reserved for the lowest of the lowest of servants. And so this is why it's so powerful towards the end of his life as he's getting ready to go to the cross on that night before he was crucified, Jesus goes and says, I'm going to wash my followers' feet. And he puts on the garments of a servant and and goes to wash his his disciples' feet. And, And Peter just couldn't wrap his mind around that. Once again, he just like glitched. I It's like, Jesus, no, this is not for you. You will never wash my feet. Jesus says to Peter, if he doesn't wash his feet, then he will have no share with him. Basically, if I don't wash your feet, then you've got no part in me. And Peter responds to that, okay, well then wash my whole body. Like, don't stop with my feet. Give me a bath, Jesus. Again, like, come on, Peter. And I picture Jesus just kind of shaking his head affectionately at this point. Be like, oh, Peter, I don't need to give you a bath. If I wash your feet, your whole body's clean. That's what Jesus says to him. And it's a strong picture of the gospel. I don't think Peter got it at the the moment, but, but Jesus became low, became servant of all, so that we might be made clean, that we might be made righteous before God. But Peter, he just wasn't fully getting it yet. And from there, Jesus foretells that one of his followers would betray him. And he says that they will all fall away because of him that night. Jesus is preparing them for him going to the cross. Matthew 26, 33 says, this is Peter speaking up once again. Jesus says, hey, one of you will betray me. You'll all fall away. Peter says, though they may all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Again, Peter really felt that he was something special. And, and Luke accounts it this way. He says, Luke 22, uh, 33, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Peter loved so strongly 
He was so passionate about Jesus. He's like, there's no way in a million years I'm going to fall away from my Lord, my best friend, my rabbi. I'll die for this man. Peter really believed that. And Jesus responded to Peter, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows the next morning. And we're going to get to that in just a second. But but before we get to that, we see later that evening, after that interaction, they're in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Judas comes to betray Jesus. And Peter, he was carrying a sword. And and the swords that the the fishermen would have carried at the time was more like a dagger. Um, So it's not like a big, long, like, sword, but it's like probably about this long, and it was for protection, it's for stabbing, not for slicing. And so, as Judas is coming to portray Jesus, the religious leaders and the armed soldiers come to arrest Jesus. The scene would have been pretty intense. There in the dark garden, Jesus and his 12 followers, well, 11, because Judas is there, versus armed soldiers and townspeople, kind of like the scene in Shrek, where they're coming out with the pitchforks, only scarier, because Shrek's a kid's film. And Peter, remember, he's in this place where like, no way, Jesus, I'll protect you to the death. He remembered Jesus saying, you'll all fall away because of me, and he's like, not me, I'll prove him wrong. So Peter's like, and he pulls out his his sword. And as these armed soldiers come, Peter is ready to protect his Savior, and he goes to kill the dude. He cuts off, see, it says that he cuts off the soldier's ear, but remember, it's a, it's, a, it's a dagger. So what it means is that Peter was actually trying to stab the guy in the throat, and he just missed because he's a fisherman and not a fighter. The guy probably like ducked, and, and he just cut off his, his ear. But realize the implications of this. Peter's given this bad rap where he's like, I will die for you, Jesus. And you're like, yeah, obviously he wasn't, he was denying him before a servant girl later. But in this moment, Peter was fully prepared to die for Jesus. In fact, he expected to. What else is going to happen? A fisherman with a dagger and mostly unarmed disciples versus a mob? By, by, by attacking a soldier, Peter was fully expecting to die for Jesus. But Jesus, once again, rebukes him. He pauses everything and says, no, um, we're not going to have any of that. He heals the guard's ear and willingly goes to the cross. So in all of these stories and in many more, we see Peter as a certain kind of character. He was hot-headed. He was impulsive. But he was also bold and brave. Bold in like the good sense. Well, probably and the bad. And he was sometimes a bit thick. Like I said, I relate with this guy. This is what, who Peter was. He, he has strengths and he had weaknesses. But now we get to the darkest hours of Peter's story. This is scene four, his fall. So it's, it's here in Peter's story that he is broken for good. And, and when I say broken for good, I don't mean broken forever. I mean broken for his good. All of that self-reliant zeal and pep and like, I'm going to go for it for you, Jesus. All of that is broken for the good of Peter. We saw Jesus foretold Peter's denial and now we'll read about it. Luke chapter 22, 
verses 54 through 62 says this. It says, And then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter, sorry. Like what, what, I didn't know. It took me a minute to realize what that was. Let's start reading that again. Verse, 20, verse 54. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light, looking closely at him, said, This man was also with him, but he denied it saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man is also with him, for he too is a Galilean. They heard his, his accent. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. You see, what, what happened here is Peter, who had so much confidence and faith in Christ, his, his, his teacher, his, his best friend, his Messiah, who was going to be his deliverer, his Savior, all of these expectations in that garden, when he was arrested and taken away like a lowly criminal, all of that was crushed. Peter went from having all the faith in the world to being destroyed. Peter went from being willing to die at the hands of the mob to not even having the courage or the strength to confess Christ before a servant girl. Now, I've got to hand it to Peter because you notice that of the 11, Peter's the only one that we see that stuck with Jesus. We don't know where the others went, but we see that, that as Jesus was seized and taken away, Peter followed from a safe distance. And he's there, his head spinning around a fire, warming himself in the freezing night, thinking, what in the world is happening? I see my Savior there, and he's, he's arrested, and he's, and he's, he's weak. And they start to try to identify him. He's like, no, 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 no. And then on the third time, as he, as he out of fear and despair betrayed Christ, the rooster crowed. He remembered what Jesus said. And at that moment, Jesus turns and looks at him. And it says, Peter wept bitterly. Oh, that's heavy. And I can almost guarantee you that when Christ turned and looked at Peter, he didn't look at him with disappointment. I don't think he looked at him like, told you so. I think he looked at him with love. I think he looked at him with compassion. 
Peter, who was bold and brave, was broken. But Peter's story doesn't end there. And I just want to say to you, if you find yourself sitting in here today in a season of brokenness, perhaps you're, you're here today and you're in a season where you feel like you don't know God anymore, where your faith in Him is shattered because He's not fulfilling your expectations Maybe He's not saving you the way that you want Him to. Maybe your life's not going the way you thought it would or should, and your faith is broken, and your spirit's broken, and you're discouraged, and you're on the verge of just denying Christ completely. Peter's story didn't end there, and can I tell you something? Your story doesn't end there either. Can I just say to those of you who are at that place that God is not done with you? It's okay that you're at that place because God is not finished with you. Your story is not over. If you're breathing, your story's not over. God's not done with you. Just like he wasn't done with Peter. Scene five is Peter's restoration. He's broken, but he's broken for good. And in light of Peter's failure, the next scene that we're going to look at is so powerful and so beautiful. It's just my favorite. Look with me at John chapter 21, 1 through 9. This is Christ had gone to the cross. He died for the sins of the world. He had been raised by the power of God. And now he's resurrected walking around the earth. John 21, 1 through 19, it says, After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the sea of Tiberias. And, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. So he hadn't seen Jesus yet. Everything had happened. Peter's still broken. What am I going to do? Well, I guess I'll go fishing. That's all he knew to do. He's still spinning, broken, despair. Verse 3, Peter said to them, I'm, I'm going fishing. They said to him, well, we'll go with you. You know that feeling when, you're fa when like, you've just gone through tragedy where you've just got like this weight that's constantly on your chest? And like your world is just constantly spinning and you feel like you're sort of detached from your body. Has, has anybody ever lost someone close to them or, or been, been gone through trauma or, or despair to that extent? Can you, so I know that you're with me. Can you nod at least? Yeah. I have a feeling that's what they were feeling right now. Like what, you know that feeling? It's like, what, what will we do? I don't know. It's so unnatural to even do the natural things of life. Like go to the grocery store and do a shop. Like, Everybody's around you, like acting like life is fine. Life's not fine. Do you realize what just happened? That's where these guys are at. They are in shock because their, their, their Savior has died. So they, well, I guess we'll go fishing. What else are we going to do? So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. I'm starting to feel like Peter wasn't that good of a fisherman. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, 
Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? Then rub it in. They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. Church, does that sound familiar? Does that ring a bell from maybe scene one? So they cast it. And Peter's like, last time some crazy told me to cast the net, it worked out okay, I'll try it again. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, that's, that's John. John called himself that in his, epistle, his gospel. I don't know why. The disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. Why do you put clothes on to swim? I don't know, but that's what Peter did. So he put on his outer garment. He jumped into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about 100 yards off. That's a long swim for Peter, but that's Peter for you. Verse 9, when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of fish, 153 of them, that's specific. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, Do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, Do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. Said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Now the reason that this scene is so powerful and so beautiful is because Jesus, Jesus, in a way that only he can do, both reenacts Peter's original calling and undoes Jesus' threefold denial. 
Jesus is intentional reenact, intentionally reenacting Peter's call. And in the process of reenacting his call, he's undoing Peter's fall. So he's reminding him of the time when he met Jesus from the fir- in the first place and saying, Peter, I'm still calling you to follow me. The call that he received from Jesus in the start, the identity that he received from Jesus in the start, that was not thrown away because of G- Peter's darkest hours. It's still there. Jesus is reaffirming it to the T. And then in his threefold affirmation, his threefold call on Peter, he is undoing Peter's threefold denial. And you know what's crazy is, you know the way sometimes a smell or a sound or something like that will spark like a memory like it was yesterday? You know that feeling? Like we've had it so much since we've been back here in Ireland. It's like we're driving up from Cork on the left side of the road. That's important. And just the smell and the the fresh air and like the cold rain, it's like, my goodness, it's like we never left. Will you notice the scene where, where Jesus restores Peter to himself? It's around a fire in the early morning. The same exact scene where Peter had denied Jesus three times. Only you know, what, however many days before. The crackling of the coal, the smell of the smoke. That would have brought Peter right back to those moments where he is cursing and blaming, I don't know him, three times. Back to that moment when he catches Jesus' eye and he's just broken. And there around a fire with the resurrected Lord, Jesus three times reaffirms Peter's call. Peter, do you love me? Yeah. Feed my sheep. I'm not done with you. Peter, do you love me? Yeah. Tend to my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I do. He broke Peter down to restore him fully. Jesus had not given up on Peter. Peter's failure did not rob him of his new identity, nor did it rob him of his calling from Jesus. It's grace upon grace upon grace. So from Peter's restoration, we have Peter's anointing. The last thing that Jesus calls the disciples to do before his ascension was to wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father and the Holy Spirit, which will clothe them with power from on high, as Luke 24, 49 says, will come to them. So in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, we see this account. We see the upper room. You're probably familiar with the passage. They're waiting, they're praying, and the Spirit fell like tongues of fire on each one of them. And they, you know, they spoke in tongues, and the tongues of everybody who was, who was there, and... Um, And people from every nation could hear the the wonderful works of God in their own language. It was amazing. And, And this anointing, the Spirit of God falling on the church, that was the anointing of power that came upon Peter and on the rest of the disciples. And it remained on them from this point forward. And as we look at Peter from this point forward, we see a different Peter. So Peter was anointed on Pentecost, and in scene 7 we see his ministry. And his ministry was to preach and to lead with power. 
the, the, the thousands of people that were there at Pentecost, because, I mean, it was the feast of Pentecost. There was thousands of people present. They reacted various ways to the expression of power that they saw. In Acts 2, 12, 2 uh, 12 and 13, it says this, And all were amazed and perplexed, all the people there, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking say they're drunk. They're filled with new wine. But then in verse 14, Peter stands up with the eleven, and he lifts his voice, and he addressed them. And we read on from there, I'll let you do that on your own, the first sermon that was given in the church age, where Peter addresses the thousands of people, and and with power and boldness and being spirit-filled, he preaches the gospel in a way that only a spirit-filled Peter could. And then in Acts chapter 3, you go on and you see Peter and John walking together, heading to the temple where they found a beggar at the beautiful gate. And in Acts 3, 6, it says this, but Peter said, as the beggar's asking for money, Peter says, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong, and leaping up, he stood up and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. This is a different Peter. Immediately after that, you see Peter preaching the second recorded sermon at Solomon's portico. And then in Acts 4, Peter and John are arrested and on trial before the same council that condemned Jesus. But it says Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in verse 8, we see Peter boldly proclaimed the gospel to the very people that put Christ, his Savior, to death. I love chapter 4, verse 13 of Acts as Peter's preaching the gospel. It says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, They were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. That verse gives me so much hope. In Acts chapter 5, we see Peter's ministry continue. Ananias and Sapphira, members of the early church, they were lying to the church and to the Holy Spirit and saying that they were giving money that they weren't giving, and you know the story, it's kind of freaky. Peter led the way in confronting them, and and God struck them down dead. That's intense. And as you read through Acts, you see Peter's ministry going on and on, and you see unfolding that the identity that Christ spoke over Peter was being lived out by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. Peter truly had become a rock in the church. A man who was hot-headed, uneducated, a Galilean fisherman, became a rock in the foundation of the early church. God had redeemed Peter. And what I love about it is that God redeemed Peter's natural personality. That same hot-headedness, that same like boldness to speak, no matter who the audience was. I mean, on the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter's ready to just like speak up. I'm going to build a tent. That same like boldness that he had that got him in a lot of trouble when he was filled with the Spirit, God sanctified that. And God used that very attribute 
to accomplish mighty and wonderful things for His glory. What was a weakness had become a strength by the grace of God. I love Peter's story. Now, a quick postlude to Peter's story, and this is important. Though we follow his, his narrative um, and the arc of his story and see that he was, uh, you know, um, hot-headed and prideful and God broke him and redeemed him, restored him and filled him with the Spirit and used him, it's important to note that even after he was redeemed and restored, even after he was filled with the Spirit and in leadership in the early church, like high-level leadership, that did not mean that Peter was perfect. There was a never, never a time in Peter's story when he, had, when he had attained perfection on this earth. In fact, as you look through the New Testament, you see that Peter's flaws were actually pretty deep. Galatians 2.11 and Acts 10.9-6 show us that, that Peter certainly wasn't wasn't perfect. Paul talks in Galatians about having to confront Peter over the preference that he was showing to the Jewish believers and he was, as he was shunning the Gentiles. Acts 10 shows us that God had to appear to Peter in a vision in order to get him to reach out to Cornelius, a, genis, a, 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 a Gentile. Peter still had trouble. He still had preferences. He still had sin. He wasn't perfect even at the height of his ministry. In the same way, no matter how long we've been walking with Jesus, church, you've got to you got to understand, you're never going to be perfect. There's never going to be a time in your life on this earth where you will have attained, um, you know, the level of spirituality, where you're good to go, you're fine. We, we are broken people that need the grace of God on a daily basis, whether you've been walking with Jesus for two weeks or 20 years. God's never done with you. So as we conclude this morning, I just I hope to show you that Peter's story is a Jesus story. It's a story in which Jesus is the hero. Peter, though he was a greatly flawed man, is a man who walked with Jesus. And by the grace of Christ, God did amazing things through him. So a couple takeaways from this Jesus story is this. First, church, Jesus takes us where we are. He takes us as we are. Jesus pours grace upon grace out upon us despite our character flaws, despite our weaknesses, and despite our failures. If we will simply be obedient to Him in saying, God, here I am. If we'll simply walk with Him, if we'll simply turn to Him and live in a life that is patterning repentance, Christ says, just come as you are. You don't need to get yourself right before you go to Jesus. You don't need to fix your life before you come to church. You don't need to say, yeah, I want to become a Christian or I want to be a Christian, but first I've got to sort out X, Y, and Z. No, Jesus says, come as you are in all of your messiness, in all of your struggles, in all of your weakness. And as we come, God pours out grace upon grace upon grace. If Peter, one of the pillars of the early church, the great apostle, if he was as broken and flawed as we just saw, then you know what? There's room for you. Amen? The second thing that I want us to walk away with today is this. Jesus makes us, as we come to him, the truest version 
of ourselves as we're redeemed by his grace. I love as we look at Peter's story that as he um, grows in his relationship with Jesus, as he is um, made right and redeemed and filled with the Spirit, he does not become any less Peter. And sometimes there's this idea that in order to be a good Christian, in order to be righteous, in order to, 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 to walk with God, you have to become something else. You have to put on this certain like holy personality. You have to dress... Whoa. You, I'm used to having one I hear. You have to dress a certain way. You have to, you have to act, you know, this like certain pious mold you have to fill in. And, and let me just tell you something. When you come to Jesus, he doesn't rob you of your personality. He redeems your personality. He doesn't make you less of who you are. You don't have to not, you know, become somebody else. He makes you more truly who he created you to be. And the very personality quirks that perhaps get you in trouble when left to your own resources, those are the very personality quirks that God will redeem and use in powerful ways for His glory. So can I just encourage you in that church? As you're trying to walk with Jesus, as you're coming to Christ and submitting yourself to Him, don't feel like you have to become somebody else. You just be you, redeemed by Jesus. Does that make sense? Isn't that liberating? Oh, I can't tell you how liberating it is for me. And that's what I love about this church. I look out here and I see just this such a wonderful diversity of people. Man, by the grace of God, he's redeeming us into a holy people for him. So that's my exhortation to you this morning, church. Live your Jesus story before the people in your life. I know Tyrone told me that, that the the vision for this year is, is evangelism, right? Outreach, is that what it is? Can I just encourage you, your Jesus story is, is one of the most powerful tools that you have for the glory of God in sharing the gospel. Nobody can argue with your story and how God saved you and redeemed you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your grace and your goodness. I thank you for the work that you did in um, Peter's life and how we can see your faithfulness through it. And I thank you, God, that we all have a story that's equally as powerful and wonderful because, God, we are broken on our own and we're redeemed by the blood of Jesus and the grace of God. So I thank you for that. I thank you for every person in this room. I pray, God, that you would empower them by your spirit to go and to share their story with the people in their lives that don't yet know you. Would you fill this church with your spirit? Would you send us out as lights across this city for your glory, God? God, we worship you. We love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.